All right, Three Circle Church, great to be with you guys today. We've got all of our campuses joining us online right now, and those uh, that are with us just online, not just the campuses, but on back porches and living rooms all over the place, welcome to everyone. As we dive into our Christmas season here at Three Circle, we kicked it off last weekend with Advent Sunday, and now we are in the series. Every year we come back to Christmas. I promise you there's never going to be a December at Three Circle where we go, you know, we've been talking about Jesus being born long enough, let's do something different. Right now. I mean, it, we just ne- it'd be like saying going to the beach gets old or going to the mountains get like, there's never going to be an end to the wonder of what happened at Christmas. So every year we come back to this place, these big theological uh, masterpieces from the word of God, reminding us of what Christmas is all about. And we invite you to take in everything that this season's going to have for us, creative Christmas this week, uh, week after week, the Sundays that will build towards and Thursdays that will build towards Christmas Eve, a lot going on. This year, the the angle we're going to take on Christmas is the idea of peace. The idea of peace and the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, peace is something that we all know we long for. It's something that humans want, we desire. We don't know why, but we want peace. But what I want to show you throughout this series is that we're not real good at it. And although we've tried really, really hard to achieve peace, we simply can't. In fact, I want to show you throughout this series that peace is not something we can achieve. It is something we can only receive. And let me prove it to you because as you walked into our campuses at any of our three circle campuses today, if you go online and look at the look of our Christmas series, you will see that it looks like a throwback. Like the trees aren't decorated the way we decorate Christmas trees right now. It's a throwback to a time Uh, behind us. Now, what time is it? It's specific. It's on purpose. We're wanting you to take a trip back to the 1960s. Everything looks and feels like it did in the 1960s, including the intro to the sermon. Now, I don't remember the 1960s, okay? Some of you do, but I heard about them. And I like a lot about the 1960s, like the music, the Beatles and Elvis, pretty good stuff there. I love, my favorite car ever is 1960s era Mustangs. I think they're beautiful. I love them, okay? But there's something I want to specifically point all of us to. The reason the trees look like they do and the lobbies and the stuff online, it's all pointing you to something that happened in the 1960s. And it's the peace movement. We tried really hard in the 1960s to achieve peace, the peace movement. If you were in the 1960s, you remember scenes like this, where people were saying, all we're saying is give peace a chance. And it was admirable. There was a war that people didn't agree with. A lot of people didn't. And there's a lot of stuff going on. They're like, let's have peace. Other people, it looked like this. They were just carrying signs that no phrase or anything, just peace, just give us peace. Something inside of them wanted that. And then there were Others that walked and said, bring our boys home. And, and while all of that was admirable, let me ask you th- something. That's the 1960s. It's 2023. Did it work? Or do we still have turmoil? Do we still have injustice? Do we still have issues, problems? Do we still have war? Yes, we always have. And the point I want you to understand is that we tried really hard in the 1960s and it didn't work. Because you and I can't achieve peace It can only be received. We couldn't do it, so we had to have a prince of peace. In fact, we've kind of thrown in the towel, haven't we? We basically said as humans that we have tried so hard and we can't achieve peace, so we've decided you got to die to have it. We even call it RIP. Rest in peace. That's the only time you're going to get it. 
You got to be dead to have peace. That's what we've decided as humans. All right. With all that in mind, it brings us to our point that we're going to sit on for this month of Christmas. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's one of the titles he was given. In Isaiah 9, 6, the famous prophecy about Jesus, it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And would you just join me and let's say the last one out loud, this title, we're ready. Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, when I look at this, I see a lot. First of all, it says, hey, just like Jesus was born, just like any other human. Like, there's babies born every day. A child was born, but then the special part, to us a son is given. So this baby was born and sent and given to us, for us. That's a different story. And then these amazing titles about who he is and his power, the government will rest upon his shoulder. He's wonderful counselor. We could do a whole Christmas and we probably will on that. He's mighty God. He was God in the flesh. We could do a whole series on that. We could spend an entire December about everlasting father. But this year, we're going to spend our time with the Prince of Peace. Have you ever looked at that and wondered why Prince of Peace? I thought he was a king. He's the king. He's King Jesus, isn't he? Why are we calling him a prince? Well, because Jesus came in a specific function. When it comes to peace, he came bringing us peace, and he brought it on a mission. He was on a mission. So what we'll say is this. He's called a prince of peace because while being equal with the father, he submitted to his father in his mission to come. So when we talk about the Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How many of you are with me? We agree, right, at three circle that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all fully God, right? There is no subordination there in essence. But what we see clearly is that when Jesus came, he submitted himself to the Father. He submitted himself to his Father. And by the way, now, right now, the Holy Spirit has been sent Like Jesus was sent, the Holy Spirit has been sent, and the Holy Spirit, being equal to the Son and the Father, has submitted himself to the Son. Jesus says, I've sent the Spirit. The Spirit bears testimony about me. And in the same way Jesus said about himself in John 6, 38, he said, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what Jesus is saying is, while I'm here in this function of bringing you what I'm bringing you, I'm the prince of heaven, being sent by my father, being empowered by the spirit. I am here on a mission. And one of the things he came to bring us is this thing we can't achieve, but we want so bad. This thing we can't achieve, but we tried so hard for it. This thing called peace. Peace. We can't achieve it. We can only receive it. Luke 2, 14. The angels filled the night sky famously. We love this verse, rightfully so. In fact, the original language is basically telling you that everywhere those shepherds looked in the sky, they saw nothing but angelic beings. Do you understand how many of them there had to be to pull that off? Get that in your brain. It'll hurt your brain. Unless your brain hurts right now, you're not doing it right. The night sky was filled with angelic beings. And can you imagine... 
If billions and possibly trillions of angelic beings suddenly stepped into the sky and filled it and they couldn't find a spot in the sky where there wasn't an angel looking at them with bright light and then they began to shout, do you know how loud that was? You think the music's loud at three circles. You got no idea. And here's what they said. Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and the second line. And on earth, peace. But don't, don't mess up because we stop there. We go, peace. Yeah, see, God wants peace on earth and beauty pageants. We want world peace. World peace. It's the perfect answer. You can say all you want. You're going to win that pageant. You better say world peace. But it doesn't say here that God just sent peace for everybody. No, no, no. It's specific. It's qualified. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, the angelic proclamation that night about that baby who was messianic, that's the Messiah, the messianic baby, is that he would bring peace to those, a specific group of people, who would believe in him. The only way we can have God be pleased with us is through the Son. That's the only way, and that's the whole point of this series. We think in our peace movement, famously in the 1960s, admirable as it was, fell short. Because all human movements for peace starts on the outside. It starts with trying to get everybody to be nice. But it's hard to be nice when at your heart you're really mean. Right? Like we're humans. And humans have always come back to ground zero, haven't we? We always have that magnetic pull of coming back to the things we always end up doing. War. Fighting, injustice, treating people poorly, all those things, divisions, it happens because we simply can't achieve it. In fact, there's people who've done some research on this. In all of recorded history, if you take every bit of it, put it into a mathematical equation, exactly 7.5% of all of human history can be considered peaceful. 7.5%. Y'all, we can't pull this off. Every peace treaty that has ever been designed and signed, every one has been broken. Every single one. Because we can't achieve this thing called peace. But Jesus promised that he would bring it to us. Isaiah, the prophecy says he's been sent as the prince of peace. He tells us that he came down from heaven. He's been sent on a mission. The angels that night said he's come to bring peace to those who will believe in him and now let's hear from him. Let's hear what Jesus said about his peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus tells us what kind of peace he brought us as the Prince of Peace. Look what he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then he qualifies it. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then here's the result of Jesus' peace. You want to know what it does for you? Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. That's what happens. Now let's talk about the last phrase and we'll, we'll kind of work our way backwards through the verse. First of all, he says, if you have my peace, your hearts don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And I'm glad he say, said that because I'm living in the most scared, anxious, frantic generation of all time right now. Our hearts are troubled. In fact, we're the most technologically advanced generation of all time. It's not even close. And yet, we still freaking out about everything. It, I, thought, I thought this was supposed to help us. I thought technology was supposed to fix it. It made it harder, didn't it? 
We thought we would be superior to our grandparents who had exactly three channels on their TVs. We thought we would be superior when we went from three to 400. And you know what? We, we can't even choose now. We got so many choices, we don't know what to choose. They had it right back in the day, those three channels. And when you chose one, you got sent outside to spin the antenna to make sure that one worked. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where's my people out there? I was on the very edge of that. And if you don't know the joy of being sent outside on a rainy, cold night to spin an antenna and hear the yelling from inside, you went too far. (laughs) Well, then you missed out. And yet we think, well, look, we don't have to do any of that anymore. And yet with 400 channels, we can't make a choice. You'll spend two hours trying to figure out what you are going to watch. And then when you finally do make a decision, you are anxious for another two hours wondering if you made the right decision because you had so many other choices you could have made. We have all these things, and yet we're frantic. We're anxious. In fact, we're the most connected generation of all time, and yet we live more disconnected than ever. Why is it? Because we can't achieve peace. I promise you. Elon Musk getting going to roll out some new car next month that's going to change your life. It might be cool. I'm a little worried about stuff driving without someone holding a steering wheel. It freaks me out a little bit. I don't know about you. But I'm just telling you, there's nothing new coming. Like, how much more can we achieve as humans? It's not, it will not do it. The Roman Empire couldn't pull it off. We can't achieve what Jesus says I can bring you because he says, my peace is not as the world gives. His is different. Then what's different about it? Well, here we go. Jesus literally used this word. The peace of Jesus is a word, an ancient word, a beautiful word. It's the word shalom. Would you write that word down? Shalom. Everyone say it because it it just feels good to say it. You just said the same word that Jesus said to his disciples when he resurrected from the dead and came into the room where they all were. The first thing he said to them was, come on, do it again. Sound great. Shalom. Shalom to you. Well, what does that mean? Jesus wanted to make sure that none of us ever confused his peace with that peace that the world brings. Now, what's the difference? Well, the very pictures I showed you from the peace movement of the 60s, as admirable as it was, fell short. And those very pictures tell you the heart of it. Peace in the 1960s was what? Primarily the absence of war. But then it went further. And by the way, a lot of good stuff here. And then they said, and not only that, if we can stop fighting, we could have racial equality and justice. Amen. Good stuff. And we can try to help people who are in poverty. Like, good, good stuff, good stuff. The problem is it was out of order. The reason we fall short and we can't achieve is because we're doing it out of order. We think peace is the absence of turmoil and the absence of bad stuff and the absence of, that's why we'll walk in if you got little kids and you walk in and go, can I just have a little peace and quiet? Which what we're really saying is, can everybody be quiet for 30 seconds? Just 30 seconds. But Jesus did not offer the absence of bad circumstances. Shalom is not the absence of turmoil or conflict. It's the presence of completeness and flourishing. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus didn't promise to make your circumstances awesome. He promises something greater and more transcendent. He promises to give you a peace that you carry into and through your circumstances. See the difference? 
So the disciples that he initially promised this to, the first ones that heard him say it and then wrote it down for all of us, their lives didn't have good circumstances, did they? It never got good for those guys. Peter, Peter's going to be crucified upside down. We know this historically. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I don't give you peace like the world because if he had not qualified that, Peter would have been wondering when they captured him and led him to the crucifixion site, he would have been going, Jesus lied to me. He did not lie to him. Peter understood that Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm going to give you a peace that even when they're swinging the hammer, they can't take from you. And as they spin you upside down in your dying breaths, you will still have what I'm about to give to you. Because my peace is not of this world, therefore this world can't take the peace I'm giving to you. Jesus promised a peace to guys like the apostle Paul when crazy Nero decided it was time to have him beheaded. Jesus is saying, Paul, when the ax is swinging through the air, you will still have what I'm giving you. My peace is not circumstantial. It's not like the world gives. It is transcendent. It is shalom. You will be complete even as they're taking your life. That is the kind of peace Jesus offers. He offers peace that goes with us into the doctor's office regardless of the results. He gives you a peace when your marriage is hard and when it's good. His peace is transcendent. He promises to believers, I will give you peace that goes everywhere with you. And it's not based on whether everything's good or not. Now, how many of you are thankful that Jesus gives us that kind of peace? Shalom. So as we dive into what he promises us, there's a sequence to shalom. Because shalom does include, we should seek to have peace with one another. We should seek to have peace with others. We absolutely should seek for justice. We should seek for things to be made right. You better believe it. That's part of the call of the Christian. But it does not start there. And that's where we mess it up. It starts with what we receive. The sequence of peace in the Bible that Jesus brings is peace with God, then peace within, then peace with others. Without Jesus, you do not have peace with God. Therefore, you do not have peace inside, no matter how hard you try. And therefore, you will not have lasting peace with others. You will not. You do all you want. Go to as many seminars as you want to make your marriage awesome, your home awesome, be a great parent and all that. You will fall short without Jesus. That's what the Bible says. You can't do it without Jesus. And so therefore, we must follow the sequence. And that's what we'll do this Christmas season. This is the roadmap for the series. And we start today with the first and most important one, peace with God. The Prince of Peace came to give us peace with God. I want to say from the outset, what I'm going to do in the next few moments is we're going to read a very powerful passage from Romans. Now, this passage from Romans is so deep. It's such the deep end of the pool that that we can't swim all the way through it, okay? We're just gonna get in it for a little while because I could show you so much more than I got time to show you today. But basically what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you a video of when you were born. Now, if you're you're like me, I bet you don't remember when you were born, do you? I don't remember. I was born August 16th, 1977, the day Elvis died. Uh Uh-huh, yep. So people remember my birthday, all my friends and everyone, they'll call me because here's what I'll get. Hey man, got up this morning, Elvis stuff all over the TV and I remembered, oh, it's Chris's birthday. (laughs) But I don't remember that day. I don't remember that day. 
I don't remember what it was like. I don't know who was there unless someone tells me. Someone had to tell me what I was like as a baby because I don't remember. I'm here, so I know it all happened. And that's your story as a Christian. As Christians, God does stuff for us when we place our faith, simple faith in Jesus. Very simple faith in Jesus leads to unbelievably complex things that happened. And what I want to do today is come back around, and if you're a Christian in this room today, this Christmas, I want to show you how you were born again. Maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe no one's ever told you what happened. When you placed your simple faith in Jesus, what happened that we should be happy about? And if you're here today or online or at a campus and you go, ooh, I've never done that, well, then I hope you will. I hope you will see the hope you have to give your life to Jesus. So are y'all ready to see the video of when you were born if you're a Christian? Here we go, Romans 5, 1 through 11. We're just going to read it and unpack it. Here's how this happened. Here's how you got peace with God. Therefore, since we have been, have been, if you're a Christian, it's a moment that took place already. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, does that say achieved? Would everybody say the word out loud with me? We've now what? Received reconciliation. Jesus, I pray as we unpack this mighty, majestic passage that you would open our hearts and minds to see truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's dive into what just happened here because that is, folks, we're not eating a little slider burger. We're, we, just, we just uncorked a steak off the grill. This is what we call the meat of the word, all right? That I get everybody hungry? Everybody want lunch now? Here we go. This is the real deal. Paul's showing you the video of what happened when you place your simple faith in Jesus, and it's what Christmas is all about. The baby was the prince of peace, and it says here, first of all, we have peace, verse 1, with God through this thing called justification. That's what it says. We've been justified. If you're a Christian, you didn't know it happened. I don't remember the day I was born either, but I know that when I placed my faith in Jesus, I was justified. That's how I have peace with God. Now, what is justification? You can write it in the margins if you want. It's a legal declaration. You need to understand this. God is all of the things you've been told he is in the Bible. He's also in the Bible, the judge. He is where law comes from. He's where right and wrong finds its standard. 
So God has standards which we, according to the Bible, have all broken. I hate to give you this news today because you're all sweet, nice, fine-looking enough people. You're a lawbreaker. That's what every one of us are. Just a good old boys, you know what I'm saying? If you grew up like I did with that song uh, in that show. Yeah, you're just a, you're, you're a lawbreaker. You've broken God's law and you cannot make it right. And so the Bible says here, something had to happen for you to have peace with the holy God. Because watch this, because God is holy, he can't bend his character. He's not God anymore. And he loves you. That's part of his character, but he's also just and right. And he cannot overlook one sin ever. And there's never been a single sin ever overlooked, ever. All sin has a price attached to it. And God being just and right cannot go, well, I'll just let that one slide. He cannot do that. He will not do that. Therefore, something had to happen. And we celebrated at Christmas and at all times, gospel-believing Christians celebrate that something did happen. A legal declaration took place called justification. And here's what it means. It means that because of Jesus, God declared over you and me when we gave our lives to him, he said, not guilty anymore. Not guilty now think about it. Your re- the Bible gives you about 20 different ways to see this because God wanted you to understand. Your record is clean. Your debts have been paid off. You don't owe God anymore. You're in right standing with him. God has declared over you in Christ, you're not guilty anymore. You're free. This is really good news. Paul goes on in verse 1 to say, the way we're justified is by faith. You must place your faith in God. You don't earn it from him. You don't do enough good things to where the ledger moves in your favor and God says, oh, now I'll let you off the hook. Uh Uh-uh. It is all Jesus. And so we receive it. We don't achieve it. We just place our faith in Jesus. And when you place your faith in him, this justification immediately takes place. Jesus, I believe upon you. Yep. And you're not guilty anymore. And folks, good news. There's not enough devils in hell to accuse you to change this. This is a forever declaration. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's good news, right? Okay. So it's by faith that we get this, you're not guilty declaration called justification. But it doesn't stop there because God could have said, y'all don't owe me anymore. Now get out of here. He could have, right? They didn't know us anything. That's not what he wanted. Look what Paul says. Paul says, through Jesus, we have also. So what Paul's, he's building it. He says, isn't that good that God declared you not guilty? We're all like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. He says, I got more good news. He says, also, verse two, you've been given access to the father through this whole thing. You now have access to the father, My dad, when I was a kid in South Mississippi, where I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, it was a time where, thankfully, our incredible police officers and law enforcement and those guys still had an unbelievable amount of respect in the community. And and I, I love that time. And one of the things that the county fair would do in Jackson County, Mississippi, is if you were the child of a police officer, that police officer could let you take their badge with you, and it gave you free access to the rides. How about that? So my dad would have the talk, I'm going to let you use this badge, and it better come back. You know, in his best Rambo voice, you know, I'd take that badge. 
My favorite ride was the, uh, the Himalaya. Do y'all remember the Himalaya? <laughs> Give you a little advice. Three corn dogs right before the Himalaya ain't what you want to do. Okay, leave it right there. Okay, so, but I'd walk up. I'd walk up to those guys. It's, I need your ticket. And I'd go, oh, oh, that's right. I loved it, right? Pull out the badge. Oh, they'd let me ride on. I didn't go to police school. I didn't train. I didn't do all the hard work my dad did. Watch this. I got access completely because of something someone else had done that I was connected to. But because I had his blood, right? I had his name. I got on the ride. That's how this works, y'all. You're not getting into heaven because you were a good person. You're getting into heaven if you know Jesus. But that door swings open wide. When you have Jesus, we have access. And now that we have access to the Father, we're not just guilt-free. We're now sons and daughters sitting at the table with him, and we get all of that benefit. That changes us. According to verses 3 through 5, the access we have to the Father totally transforms us. And we start acting like sons and daughters. It changes us, and it strengthens us. According to verses 3 through 5, we start seeing suffering differently because we're sons and daughters. We're not scared like we used to be. We treat people differently. We are different. Different types of people because we are connected to our Father. We're just different. And if we're not different, something's wrong. Because access to the Father changes us. You can read these verses. We see suffering differently. Look what it says. It says something happens. It produces character in us, the character of Christ. We're not the same people anymore. And then when all of this goes on, we go, wow, this is incredible. The last thing we need to ask is, though, well, how did this happen? Because if today I were to say to you, hey, we got connected with a billionaire at Three Circle Church, and that billionaire decided that anyone who came to church on this particular Sunday, when they leave today, all of their debts, mortgages, cars, you know, uh, everything is paid off. How many of you would be pretty, pretty excited about that? Like you'd leave going, I'm glad I came to church today, right? All right, well, we, that's not going to happen. Okay, i just help you. It's not going to happen. But it'd be cool if it did, right? Okay. But if that happened, and it was for real, we would all run around, have fun, cry, laugh, all of that. But then we would all collectively at some point go, wait a minute. How did, how did this happen? I'm real happy it happened, but can you tell me how it happened? Paul starts his case by telling you how awesome it is, and then he spends verses 6 through 10 telling you how it happened justification and peace were made possible by this thing called substitutionary atonement big movement in the modern christian world taking shots at this very doctrine because they'll say well well there's no way a loving god would take his son and let him be killed that's a horrible religion that's a horrible viewpoint that's terrible. A loving God could never do that. That's abusive for a father to send his son to a crucifixion. That's a violent religion. Folks, can I just help you here? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to pull punches on this. That is a demonic response to the truth of the gospel. The Bible says God showed his great love for us by sending his son who he himself agreed to. The son agreed, not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew what he was doing. And he went to the cross for you and I. And that's the only way this happened. 
How was our debt paid off? Because of Jesus. And we celebrate him this Christmas. And therefore, we come to the last piece, verse 11. Paul says, we should rejoice. The source of our worship and joy is the gospel. This, what we just said. He says, we should rejoice. Everybody look at it with me. Verse 11, one more time. You ready? We should rejoice because we have now what? Not achieved, but what? Received. Reconciliation. We should rejoice. Paul says the only response for the Christian is sheer joy. Rejoice. Rejoice. If you're a Christian here today, you're a son and a daughter, you didn't earn it. No, you don't deserve it. Don't let Satan talk you out of your joy. Of course you didn't deserve it. I didn't either. But we're in. Rejoice. Peace among those who God has made things right. And if you're here today, this isn't your story. We go, well, I go to church. You can crawl in an oven and that make you a biscuit. <laughs> Folks, come on now. I didn't ask if you come to church. I asked this question of us today. Have you been reconciled to God through Jesus? That's your question. If you have been, rejoice. If you haven't been, I implore you today, repent of your sins. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and join me in rejoicing. Lord, thank you for your truth today as we kick off Christmas at Three Circle. We rejoice. We've been reconciled to you through Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.